أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وصحبه جمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته Welcome one and all to the third class in a series entitled Healthy Living According to the Sunnah We will look at Quranic and Prophetic Therapeutics for stress management, for health promotion and disease prevention. Before I begin, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome and introduce uh, Professor Rashid Bika. I know he doesn't like me to do this, but uh, I have to mention that uh, Prof Bika, who is the father of Zain Bika, is the well-known singer, and according to Prof's wife, uh, Prof sings better than him. So um, I'm mentioning this because Prof um, Rashid Bika has been instrumental in bringing the United Tip system of medicine to South Africa. And he is my mentor. And when I mentioned in the past that uh, when I went to UWC to inquire about TIB and they said that there's an intro course happening set in, I sat in the class and Prof Bika was given the class. And he spoke to the class about anger management. And he spoke about the wudu. He said that anger is a quality that's like from the fire, from, 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 um, from the fire, so you have to cool it down with water. And he spoke about the wudu. And when I heard this, then, then I decided to steer my life in the direction of tib, prophetic medicine, with the intention to bring it back to the community. So it's very significant that I'm sitting here today sharing this information. And my mentor sits right there. So welcome, Prof. Shukran for joining us. So in the past we spoke about the importance of holistic living in Islam and we said that as human beings we are made up of many components however in modern day times we find it difficult to bring all this, those components according to the Islamic way of life because we find we are living in an era where science is separated from religion so we find that within our masajid it's seen as a place of spirituality only however from the time of the Prophet right through the golden era of Islam, we find that the masjid was a place of healing, a place of medicine, a place of psychology, a place where people could find emotional stability, a place for physical fitness, etc. And our intention is to revive the holistic living of Islam. And this can only happen via Tibanabui. So tonight we're going to speak about emotions. And I call it the deciding factor because that is exactly what emotions is. Emotions is that factor that determines the outcome of any event. When you are feeling in a positive light or you perceive a situation in a positive light, it has an effect on the outcome. And when you see it in a negative light, it has an effect on the outcome as well. And we'll explain this from a physiological point of view, meaning what happens at a cellular level, what happens at a mental level, and what happens at a spiritual level. So let's look at stress again. We remember the slide. We spoke about the different levels of stress. We said survival stress refers to that which affects our day-to-day -day living. Poverty or a chance of losing the house, retrenchment. Environmental stresses are very dangerous because we are unaware of them. Driving to work, sitting in traffic, bad posture, um, environmental stresses in the work environment, biochemical stresses, what happens within the body due to drugs and incorrect diet. Mental stress is an easy one. We know that work deadlines can cause it. Emotional stress is the one that's often overlooked because day to day we experience certain type of emotions 
And when it's not channeled in the proper way, according to the Sunnah, according to the way the Quran teaches us on how to channel those emotions, it can lead to detrimental effects on the body. And all these types of stresses affects our spirituality. It affects the way we perform the ibadah that we perform. And uh, the sad thing about it is that through our spirituality and through our acts of ibadah, we can actually alleviate all those types of stresses. So we find there's a negative feedback in that all these daily stresses are causing us to be less spiritual and the spirituality is, the, is actually our, our remedy. So when the spirituality decreases, our remedy decreases only to increase all these levels of stresses. So let's look at emotions. All types of emotions experienced at different times having different effects on different processes of the body and we will find within the Sunnah of the Prophet every emotion is spoken about in terms of the advice the Prophet will give in terms of um, prohibitions on how to channel certain emotions and when we link the Ahadith to modern findings we come to the conclusion that it's only via the Sunnah that we can reach emotional stability so we spoke about the importance of connecting with our environment. We said that we are part of the earth, we created from clay, water, Allah has fashioned us, فَنَفَحْنَا فِيهِمِ الرُّوحِ Allah has blown um, ruh, uh, the, the nafs into us, the soul. So we have this mixture of, 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 of earth, of, of air, of um, the, the elements of the earth, of water. So therefore it makes complete sense why we need the earth to survive. So we said that Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقَتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That we have been created solely for the worship of Allah. And because of our worship towards Allah, Allah has made this entire dunya subservient to our needs. So healing can be found in nature. The entire dunya can, can provide healing in different forms. And when we connect with nature, when we turn away from the pollution of the earth. Like we said, what happens in modern day living, all the environmental stresses, places, um, heavy burdens on, this, on the body, on the physiology. When we return to nature, we find that we can reconnect. Therefore we find the salah it's, uh, prescribed according to the motions of the planets and the sun. The wudu requires our connection with water. So likewise, when we return to, to nature, we find that emotional stability. So for those that, that practiced on what we learned a few weeks ago, the importance of, of, of connecting with nature, when you're in the workplace and you feel stressed, you look outside, you find a park, you go for a walk in the park, all relax, um, consciously knowing that this greenery and the nature is there to support the body. So you're walking in the park, stress-free, no deadlines, and around the corner you see that guy. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for a few days. And to him, you look like a nice, juicy Gatsby. The first reaction, like we said in the past, that the body has been designed to adapt to different situations. So when nature is left alone in its ideal state, it thrives. When man interferes, we find a, to the detri detri detrimental effect of nature. However, nature auto-recovers. So you're walking down the park, not planning to come in, in um, confrontation with this beast. But there is. So Allah has put things into place to allow you to act, known as a flight and or flight, um, fight or flight response. Rather, fright, flight or fight. So you experience the fright, 
quickly you decide, can I fight or should I fly? So what happens is, that's the first reaction, shock, increase of blood supply, increase of heart rate, increase of blood pressure, followed by this in some people. Then this, so you're running away. What happens internally? The adrenal glands which is located above the kidneys are stimulated directly. So the breathing increases, blood flow to every muscle in the body increases to allow you to move fast. The heart rate increases. Blood sugar levels increases because the body needs direct energy. Fats in, in the blood also increases because fats can be burnt up for energy. The blood pressure increases, so therefore we find there's a strain on the heart. Pupils dilate in order to, for you to adapt to the situation. So we know when, when probably some of us found ourselves in the situation and we did things that were abnormal. We'll, we'll jump 10 meter fence or we'll do something, we'll sprint as fast as we ever did in our entire lives due to the, the effects of adrenaline. So in an acute situation, in a life and death situation, it's beneficial to the body. But what happens when your body becomes stimulated with these hormones on a day-to-day -day basis? So when we suffer emotional stresses like fear, anxiety, hatred, anger, explosive anger, suppressed anger, worry, when we suffer these type of emotions on a day-to-day -day basis, it has a detrimental effect on the body because it stimulates all of these processes. So in a, in a, a, a life or death situation, a, a danger situation, you are able to act fast and the body burns off all the energy. But when you are experiencing emotional stress on a day-to-day -day basis, these high levels of sugar circulates in the blood, high levels of fat circulates in the blood, putting pressure on the arteries, blocking the arteries, leading to fat buildup, putting pressure on the heart. Basically, every organ in the body deteriorates due to ongoing stress. And over a long time, the hormone cortisol starts to release into the bloodstream. And when this hormone is released, it adds further strain because it sustains the stress mode. So your body's stress threshold increases. So you constantly in a, in a stressed out situation. So your level of stress will always be heightened, even if your emotional stress decreases. So say that you have emotional stress due to some family feud. If that family feud happens to be resolved in a good manner, you will still feel it, the effects of the emotional stress if you're unaware of the proper counseling channels that has to follow, the proper healing that has to follow. So we, another system that would be effect, affected would be the, the GIT. So at the time of stress, the GIT activation would be decreased because at the time of intense danger, your body is not interested in digesting food. It wants to use the fuel. So therefore we find often that our emotions is directly linked to our GIT. So we know that if we were to give a speech in front of a thousand people and, we, and we're not used to it, we feel these butterflies in the, in the belly. Other people will feel nauseous due to the connection with our emotions to our GIT. So we said over a long period, the effects on every organ of the body and the overall effect is that it weakens the immune system. So the immune system is responsible for producing those cells that fight off illnesses, fight off pathogens. We spoke about microorganisms that's present all over the place, especially on the door handles, etc. 
But our bodies are designed to fight them off. So when cortisol levels are high for too long time, they start to down-regulate the immune system. So they, they cause less efficient production of immune cells. They lessen the, the white blood cells, which are the army or the natural killer cells, which goes around the body looking for viruses, bacteria, looking for abnormal cells constantly due to the toxins in our environment and our stresses, the body makes abnormal cells that could be cancerous. But due to our immune system, you have tumor necrosis factor, you have natural killer cells that goes around high surveillance looking for these cells and killing them before they could multiply. But what happens in, when we experience constant level of stress, like emotional stress that we all live with on a day-to-day -day basis, we find that slowly these cells are down-regulated until the body reaches a stage where it cannot fight normal illness conditions. And that's how we find this increase. So you'll find in modern societies, or let's say in rural societies around the world, even in South Africa, in the rural society where people are living close to the earth, they're not exposed to all the technological advancement, to all the stresses of modern day living, you find there's a decrease in, in illnesses like cancers. As they become westernized, modernized, as people move from Transkai into Kauteng or into the suburbs, there's an increase in, in these types of conditions and cancers. Around the world, in, in rural areas in Morocco, in India, as people become modernized, it comes with a package. And the diseases of lifestyle are all the same around the world. They mimic the same pattern in terms of diabetes, cholesterol, high blood pressure, the increase of cancers, etc. So bear in mind that our emotions is a big role to play. And within the Sunnah, the Prophet ﷺ constantly advises us on the emotions, constantly advises us on the, on the Hajjul Wada, where the Prophet ﷺ stood on the plains of Arafah. He said that as this day is sacred, which was the day of Eid, as the, the Mount of Arafah and the land was sacred, so too are the lives of, of believers, their honor, their wealth, their property, more sacred than this place to show us that the heart of the believer is a tender aspect of the believer. And if we can understand that our emotions are linked directly to our spirituality, it's linked directly to our well-being, we are grasping an aspect of the sunnah that will become our biggest resource on a day-to-day -day basis. A modern term, or been around for a few years, known as psychoneuroimmunology refers to the connection between our thoughts, what we think about, psyche, the neurological system, referring to the central nervous system, how those thoughts affect the nervous system, which ultimately affects our glands, so immunology. So our thought patterns affect the secretion of certain hormones, as mentioned before. So negative thoughts increase um, adrenaline, no adrenaline, cortisol, different types of, of hormones. When we have it in a small amount, at a short space of time, it's beneficial, but over a long period, detrimental effects on the, on, the, on the entire immune system. Anger. A detrimental or a, a very severe type of emotion described by the Prophet as being from the fire. Prophet said to one Sahaba that came to him, advise me, Ya Rasulullah, and he said, do not become angry. And we know this is a type of emotion, if we look at anger, it's a heating emotion. It rises from the belly, the eyes become engorged and red, 
steam can exit the ears, foul language exits the mouth, and it's emotion that many people or most regret because the consequences are irreversible, both in terms of what you project and internally, because the damages that happens with inside the body, the heat becomes so intense that it places too much pressure on the heart. So we find that people suffering from heart conditions, physicians would advise them, avoid stressful situations. If you know that a certain individual or certain place will incite some anger, avoid it for your own health. We know that anger takes over people and often we find um, things that follow due to anger leading to severe illnesses within a person and severe um, effects for the rest of society. Both types of anger, the actual anger that we experience when news come to us would be regarded as bad, but even worse would be the suppressed anger. The anger that's housed in the body that leads to hatred, resentment, vengefulness or revenge. The, the deep-seated anger that left unresolved has been shown by scientists to actually shorten lifespans. We know that our, our entire life, illness and sickness are decreed by Allah. But Allah has created this dunya in, in terms of cause and effect. And therefore the Prophet has advised us on every type of emotion. The Prophet said that to the one Sahaba do not become angry. So the advice isn't that when you feel that emotion do not become angry. The advice is be conscious of the anger. So you become angry, something exits the mouth, you, 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 you rise from your seat. But remember the words of the Prophet because whatever follows then is from shaitan. The Prophet said that the most strongest of people are not those that wrestle someone to the ground. The most strongest of individual, the most powerful will be one who can control his anger. The Prophet also said that the best of people are those who are slow to anger and quick to cool down. And he described anger as a coal which sits in the heart of man in terms of heating. So we know the entire effect of anger, explosive anger, is a heating type of event that can cause the blood to boil, cause heart attacks, cause circulation of, of, of fatty acids that clogs the arteries, etc. The Prophet gave us advice and remedies. He said that anger is from the shaitan. So therefore, say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. So we have to be conscious that we, we know often we can drown in the anger. It can consume us, that we become miserable individuals to such an extent that we do not know any other type of emotion except anger. And often, actually most of the time, the anger is worse. The, the effects of anger is worse on the, on the individual that feels the anger as opposed to, to who the anger would be directed to. The Prophet gave us another good advice. He said that when you are standing and you receive news of, that causes you to be angry, sit down. And if it leaves you, that's all good and well. But if the anger doesn't dissipate, lay down. So modern science has showed us that the adrenal glands in a state of anger secretes two types of hormones, adrenaline and noadrenaline, which causes all those different effects in the body, increased heart rate, um, increase blood to the muscles, etc. And science has proved that if you are standing, so if you're sitting in, in a certain position and someone were to measure your adrenaline and no adrenaline, the levels will be low. When you stand without being angered, the levels of no adrenaline increase by two to three fold. 
just standing in a quiet state without saying anything. The no adrenaline increase by twofold. So what would be of the effect if someone would be angered in a standing state? You will have an over-secretion of both hormones, which has detrimental effects on the entire body. So therefore we see in the Prophet statement, modern science proves once again that by merely sitting down, you can help to down-regulate those harmful um, hormones. And if sitting down doesn't work, lie down. The Prophet also said that when you become angry, remain quiet. Because we know when anger overtakes a person, words get uttered, they cannot be taken back. We spoke about the wudu. The Prophet said that anger is from shaitan. And the shaitan was created from fire. And we know that water is the only thing that can extinguish fire. So therefore perform wudu. So when you become angry, bear in mind that, that, that wudu has benefits for the entire mind, body and soul. And we said that when you perform wudu and you wash over the face, over the forehead, certain pressure points are triggered in the body, which release tension, which release stress, which um, can take away those negative emotions. Another important remedy that goes hand in hand with anger would be forgiveness. And we know forgiveness is spoken about through and through in the Quran. In the Prophet Sunnah, we find miraculous forms of, of, of forgiveness. Prophet entering, entering Makkah during the conquest of Makkah and the Quraysh expected him to, to, to take revenge on what they did to his family, to, to his entire ummah. But he came in, down, he came in there with a, in a humble state, forgiving them all, showing. And today in the history books, non-Muslims will, will talk about the Prophet forgiveness and describing, us, describing, describing the forgiveness as the best forgiveness displayed in history. So we know the Quran ayah says that the most, the, the most righteous of people are those people that are able to control the anger and forgive. So we know that forgiveness is something that benefits the person who actually practices forgiveness. It's not that you are letting someone off the hook and they benefiting from it. Because recent scientific research has shown that forgiveness can actually have tremendous psychological and physical effects on the body. And it can relieve stress-related conditions like uh, backache, insomnia, stomach conditions. It, in one study even mentioned that there's a strong link between people that has heavy resentment and certain types of cancer, especially cancer related to, to the bowel. It's proven that, that forgiveness is a recipe for long life and happiness. Because when you forgive, you down-regulate all those harmful hormones in the body that causes a high level of stress. So you improve the heart's condition. It can promote the positive state of mind. It, it helps with hope. It increases your hope. It increases your patience, your self-confidence. It reduces your state of anger. It can remove suffering, depression and stress simply due to, the, simply due to forgiveness. So when we are given advice from the Sunnah, be in mind, it's not just an advice, because often we look at forgiveness and we see it's turning the other cheek. But we forget this tremendous spiritual benefit in there. And when you display your anger in a time when you can't forgive, it is detrimental to yourself alone. So often we know that people that, you, that might have done you wrong in the past cause you certain type of anger. And you could carry that anger for your entire life and that individual will be oblivious to it. They carry on with their life, 
unknowingly and your lifespan and your, your quality of life has decreased due to your own doings. And we find in the Sunnah the Prophet talks against it. So we use Tiba Nabawi, the Prophet Sallallahu a hadith in the light that it provides healing for our entire makeup. Even though we do not understand it, but we live in a time of information technology, everything can be researched. So whatever the Prophet Sallallahu says, type in what are the physical benefits for it and you will see a list being broken down and it can be verified by healthcare practitioners. In actual fact, if you were to look at stress management programs around the world in different types of form of natural medicine or other medical systems, you will find it mimicking the sunnah almost to the T. Because science has to still progress to what the sunnah has to offer. We said in the past that the science doesn't prove the sunnah, it's the other way around. When they make a statement that, conf- that is in conformity with the sunnah, we'll say they're speaking the truth. Because science will be valid till the day of Qiyamah. We spoke about forgiveness and there's a scale of the forgiveness scale. Often people would say, I forgive but I'll never forget. Remembering it is just as heavy as not forgiving. Because that thought in the mind, as mentioned earlier, according to psychoneuroimmunology, has an effect daily. So as it recurs in your memory, it, you play it out. Think about when you have a dream or a nightmare. You woke up from that nightmare and you realize that it wasn't real, but you're still feeling the effects. The heart is pounding. You still feel that you're still falling, sweating. All that effects of something that wasn't real. So what about thinking about it on a day-to-day basis when it keeps you up at night, when it where you find yourself preoccupied with the thoughts. So when we speak about Tabernabu, we talk about using the Prophet's advice, but not at the expense of leaving professional advice. We have to use it in congruence. The Prophet said that, go to those who know. It's very important that we have to use the counseling, we have to use all the doctor's advice out there, all the healing that you can find from the professionals, but we rely on the Quran and the Sunnah first. We appeal to Allah first. The power of du'a first. And through doing that and putting it in the right, in the right sequence, we'll find a better healing for ourselves. So in Tibbana Nabawi, the classic books written by Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, the books open up, opening chapter would be entitled, The Two Types of Illnesses. Recognizing the illnesses of the heart or the soul and illnesses of the body or physical illnesses. And it goes on to speak that the illnesses of the heart and the soul would be more severe than the illnesses of the body. Because the illnesses of the heart and soul would be, have, it will have eternal effects. Where the illnesses of the body would be confined to this worldly life. So we find that emotions, excessive emotions like fear, grief, anger, which are all normal emotions, but when we delve or when it over, overburdens us and we drown in those emotions and it becomes, it changes our personality and our positive attitude, attitude to, to, to life or our productivity, it becomes harmful. So those emotions are directly related to our level of taqwa, directly related to the illnesses of the heart. Imam Ghazali explains in his book, um, the, the Ihya Ulumuddin, we describes the illness of the heart and he talks about pride, envy, jealousy, love of the dunya, love of wealth, lust, greed. And he connects all of those illnesses of the heart that the Prophet speaks against, that this, this deen aims to eradicate. He connects that to emotional illnesses. 
so to stress and depression, severe grieving, explosive anger, because those emotions come about due to the presence of the other illnesses of the heart. So it doesn't mean that someone suffers from explosive anger, that they have a low level of deen. It just means that they have to work on the spiritual condition of the heart as well as the emotional condition. And when we experience anger, we know the Prophet has told us what to do. So it's not that if someone experiences it, you brand the individual. We know that there's a sequence of events that follow. And we know that through the power of forgiveness, everything can be erased. So therefore, it's very important to understand that when we follow the advices of the Prophet it has mental benefits because we think about the, the, some people have anger towards themselves for something done in the past that holds them back. They were angry that they did something that they cannot fathom how they brought themselves to do such a bad thing. So therefore we find when people return from Makkah, this severe weight gets lifted off their shoulders and they come back and they're even more productive than ever before. The, 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 the ability of the mind and the heart and the soul when it comes together as described to us by the Prophet has the ability to lead us to a more productive lifestyle. So Tibet Nabawi teaches us about this integration between the mind, body and soul. The Islamic belief that is based on purity and moderation, trying to eradicate all the harms that we experience day to day, transcends into our emotions as well. So we know the Islamic principles of, of Tibet Nabawi is based on healing. And to seek a cure is part of the Sunnah. Often people go through different types of difficulties and they say that it is the freedom or I accept what Allah decreed for me. And they think that is tawakkul. That is not tawakkul. Prophet described us that tawakkul is seeking the cure. Like we said, this, this dunya is a place of cause and effect. We rely on Allah first and we seek the cure. So it's not acceptable for us to take the route of uh, I have a certain condition, I'm just going to leave it. There are, there are cures out there, so we seek the cure with the knowledge that Allah increases the efficacy of the cure. Allah activates that cure. And by putting Allah first, you will find cure in things that will seem to be mundane. You'll find cure in walking in a certain direction. You'll find cure in your wudu, in your salah. And combined with seeking professional help. So it's very important to know that part of the sunnah is to seek professional help alongside spiritual reliance. It is, you cannot rely on one side alone because this body consists of a soul and a body. Our dua is Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana. We make dua for this dunya and we want good in the akhirah. So therefore we have to seek for cures for the body and for the heart together. So the Prophet's advice will always be holistic. In every type of advice of the Prophet, when you look deeper, you'll see there's a multifactual benefit to it. As we said in the past, that constantly Islam, through the golden era, integrated faith and science, linking the two together, teaching us that knowledge is very important with your iman. And when the two is combined, we find that the Muslims became the most productive that they ever were in their society because they could overcome the emotional excesses by referring to the sunnah and by referring to psychiatrists and psychology at that time which grew due to the ahadith of the Prophet So we find that the physicians relied on the statement of the Prophet when, the, when they came across the ahadith related to health for every illness there is a cure illnesses that were considered to be incurable at that time 
was cured, were cured by these Islamic physicians due to the Iman in the Hadith. So we find it moved scientists to work hard to find the cure. When they came across the Hadith that every illness, every disease sent down has its cure, you'll find doctors working very hard. And it has a dual benefit. When, 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 the, when, we, when we talk about healing comes from Allah, it has a benefit for the doctor, for the caregiver and the patient. Because it brings hope to the patient. And when you, when you instill hope in any individual, they can overcome the condition much better. And it's proven around the world, for those people that overcome terminal conditions like cancer, AIDS, conditions that are said to be incurable, the common factor that exists would be the positive attitude. And we'll find that the research in the field of spiritual healing is on the, on the rise, where people re, they use prayer in all types of religion to heal. But within the deen of Islam, we find the perfect recipe in terms of, of the haq, which is the truth, and the Prophet which is the best model for mankind. So the Islamic medical ethics would be based on the statement by Nabi Ibrahim when he was confronted by his, his, his community and he explained to them who Allah was when he told them that they shouldn't worship the idols he explained that Allah is the one who feeds him gives him drink and he said that when I become ill it is Allah who cures me and it was due to this belief that he could overcome severe trials and tribulations that came his way so we find this famous hadith that Prophet also said that every illness has a cure and when the proper cure is applied to the illness there is healing inshallah with the permission of Allah I want to pause here at the moment just to, to bring an important responsibility to individuals involved in health bear in mind whether you are a person that is selling supplements or you learnt a certain type of massage when passing it on to individuals, you cannot do it without knowledge of the body. This famous ahadith of Prophet that whoever practices medicine or gives health advice and they're not qualified, there's a severe punishment awaiting for them. In this dunya, in terms of the sharia, they'll be punished and in the year after. So we find today, due to the health needs in society, many individuals are posing as doctors, many individuals are doing fly-by-night courses, putting certain titles behind their name at the, at, the, at the detrimental cost of the patient. So it's very important if you're selling a supplement, or good and well, but research a supplement, know the human body, understand that everything taken, even water, can be harmful to the body. In the wrong dosage, everything taken can be harmful to the body. Every herb taken has a contraindication to it. It has a drug interaction to it. There's a misconception amongst the society that if I take herbs, it's, it's free of side effects. That is not true. So you find somebody mixing a couple of herbs together, body, lemon juice and something else, we know the remedies, and it works for something, or they feel it works, they pass it on to somebody else, the person has gastritis, leading to an ulcer, or bleeding ulcer follows due to incorrect usage of herbs. So the Quran tells us, go to people who know. So therefore we find today in South Africa there is health regulatory bodies. So when people pose as doctors, find out are they linked to an organization that regulates their activities. For instance, natural healing practitioners in South Africa are, falls under the Allied Health Professional Council. Which, which is a statutory body, not there to protect the doctors, they are there to protect the patients, to ensure that the patients' rights are, are, are intact. 
So when anything happens, the patient has a body to resort to, as opposed to, under, to individuals that are not trained in medicine. But this doesn't take away the fact that knowledge can be passed on from generation to generation, taught. That doesn't take that away. But the only thing is, how do you know what is authentic knowledge or not? So very important, throughout history, all the medical practitioners, physicians, were strongly grounded in deen and in the knowledge of the body. So Imam Shafi also said that the best knowledge after you know what the knowledge of certainty which is Iman, what is correct and what is incorrect according to the deen would be the knowledge of the body. So whatever you are promoting or selling or promoting a healthy type of lifestyle, it is incumbent upon you to study till the grave. Because the knowledge of the body, every day as we speak, new findings are made. And it's very important that we up to date with those findings. To, to be in contact with research journals, etc. I'm bringing this to everybody's attention because it, 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 I'm noticing there's a trend in our communities that um, certain um, products are marketed very well and individuals sell those products at the, at the effect of people leaving the other medication, the chronic medication, and not knowing the long-term effects of high blood pressure and cholesterol, etc. One thing important to mention is that according to the Prophet Sallallahu advice, when we practice the daily recommendation when it comes to nutrition and sunnah, we slowly practice a form of health promotion and disease prevention. So we can actually lower the risk of certain conditions. So when it comes to mental conditions, emotional problems, the healthcare solution rests within the deen. And we find every aspect of Islam, the Qur'an, the recitation of the Qur'an, the sound of the Qur'an, the visual effect of the Qur'an, touching the Qur'an, the environment that's conducive to reciting, the, the people that you recite with, the jama'ah, the concept of dua, raising your hands, touching water, the Kaaba. We, we, we spoke about how the atom, there's a pattern in the atom circulating in an in a anti-clockwise position. We spoke about how that um, transcends to organelles circulating in a cell, then to the heavenly bodies, then to the circulation. Then when we look at the Tatawaf, we find that it's mimicking the smallest part of creation and the largest part of creation. So therefore we find when the people are in the Tawaf, they feel that this is the most correct thing to do with their lives. They feel that now I'm living my life because they are fulfilling their purpose. So likewise, when we attach medical knowledge to deen knowledge and we live our Islam more holistically. We start to value our connection with water. We start to value the hudu. And we spoke about the hadith that the Prophet said that the, the Allah, Allah is according to his slaves the way a slave think of him. So when we look at the hudu as, our, as hydrotherapy, as a way to subdue our anger, as a way to reduce our tension, it can do that. So in my personal capacity at work when I'm busy, and if I'm not conscious about the salah, I lose that benefit. But when I program myself 10 minutes before the walk, I'm going to break away. The hudu is going to do this for me. It's going to do this according to the scientific knowledge and according to what Prophet said, I increase the efficacy of that hudu. That hudu becomes more real in our life. And I'm sure there's many individuals that practice it every day. For those that are not, please use your deen to the full ability. What we learned today, what we learned last week, Apply it to your own research and you'll find even more. I was speaking about the rotation of everything in the anti-clockwise position. The one brother mentioned that, um, did you notice when you pull the, the plug out of the sink, which way the water actually goes down the sink? He tells me in an anti-clockwise position as well. So he took note of that. So he saw 
the rotation of the atom and the, the, the celestial bodies and the Kaaba, you saw it in the water going down the sink. So we know in dhikr, that in the remembrance of Allah, hearts find contentment. So we know simply listening to the Quran has an effect in the body. Simply um, receiving a good dua from somebody. The Prophet told us that a smile is a sadaqah. So everything in this deen we see from the smallest act has profound effects. So therefore we find that people that frequent the masjid often, they find this emotional stability. You could be in what state of mind? When you go to the masjid, standing next to individuals that's connected to Allah, being close proximity to them, standing in the self has an effect on you. When someone takes your hand with a good intention, it has an effect on the body. Within natural medicine, there's various types of relaxation exercises. We know within stress management today that um, physicians, healthcare practitioners talk about the different types of stress management programs and they'll speak about breathing exercises on correct breathing habits to basically train the body to take in oxygen and blood carbon dioxide at the optimum level, doing certain type of practices every day, how it regulates blood pressure, regulates the heart rate, brings one to an emotional stable state, linking it up with what they call visualization. Visualization is a form of known in modern medicine as guided imagery, where you use your imagination to picture an example would be to picture your immune cells being extra strong in the body and attacking those cells that are causing harm in the body. And, and it has been proven that this can actually increase one's immunity. And what happens is it regulates the information which takes place between the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. So different forms of meditation. So you'll find every form of natural healing has these type of therapies, relaxation therapies in the form of meditation, in the form of, of guided imagery, mantras, there are different names of it, names for it. But within the Deen of Islam, we'll find everything presented to us in a perfect manner. But if we take it as a mundane activity, it will only be that for us. It will only be something spiritual that we might see on the day of Qiyamah. But when we take the Deen in, in its full aspect, we'll get the full benefit. So when we look at the Quran, we know that the Quran is described as a guidance, a mercy. A glad tidings to the believers. Allah also says to us in Surah 17 verse 82 that the Quran has, sent, has been sent down specifically for a cure. It is a cure and a mercy to the believers. So we find that when we connect to the Quran and we follow the advices, our level of morals increase. And when it comes, comes to times of, of anger and we have to forgive, it is easier for us to forgive when we're sticking to those advices in the Qur'an. However, the further we are taken away from those morals in the Qur'an, it becomes more difficult. Anger builds up to such an extent where people live daily with anger. So it doesn't suit a situation where individual is, there is no such situation where an individual is growing spiritually, but he constantly finds himself in an explosive type of anger. We have to remember there's a different type of anger, the anger of Umar which was justified based on the Sharia. His anger was solely due to the obedience of Allah and not due to his own hawa, to his own ego. He, when the laws were broken, it incited certain type of anger. So when we look at the Quran, we, we see that the recitation of the Quran has, has effects on even plants. We said that the words that get uttered, 
the frequency of the words, the, the visuals, that the actual the writing of the Quran, the calligraphy. Okay, we'll continue after the Adhan, after the Salah. Shukran, we ask the brothers to please leave first um, the top door, and I think the bottom door is open as well. We're continuing with part two, discussing emotions, the deciding factor, and we left off, we spoke about the Quran. We said that the Quran is a healing for man, and the healing can be found in the sound of the Quran, the recitation of the Quran, and we know in Cape Town, South Africa, we come from a reciting community where the recitation is part of our lives. Our parents, grandparents, there's not a day they go by except that they would begin with Surah Yasin. And they try to inculcate this in the lives of their children. Yet, when we consider this to be something that our forefathers did for Bata Barakah, and we forget to, to add the scientific aspect to it, we miss out the healing that the Quran can really offer us on a day-to-day basis. So we look scientifically that we live in a time where almost every aspect of the sunnah can be proven in terms of its benefit. We know that, that we spoke about the effects of water. The scientific research that went into the effects of water molecules and emotions and where good energy or positive thoughts are directed towards water changes the molecules in a beautiful structure and molecular structure that's allowed to be absorbed better in the body. So because everything is made of water, when positivity is directed to anything in the world, it, it provides or it contributes to the beneficial aspect of it. So we know that uh, people that are into gardening will tell you that they, you actually hear them speak to their plants. Our parents, they speak to the plants and they have conversation with the plants. And then if a certain plant dies, they'll tell you, you never spoke to the plant, you weren't. But there's scientific proof behind this. I see a lot of ladies are smiling, because now there's proof to show you're not going crazy. So in, in Islamic universities, uh, we find that in the likes of Al-Azhar University, universities in Saudi Arabia, um, microbiology department, um, physiology department, various departments would look at different aspects of the sunnah and test it. So we find that um, within Saudi Arabia, within the botany department, they conducted certain studies on wheat. So four groups were allocated to four glass houses of wheat. And in the first glass house, students were instructed on a daily basis to recite Quran in that, in that glass house. So to begin the day with Surah Yasin Ayatul Kurus, 
the famous suwar that we recite for barakah in our lives. In the second glass house, the student was in, instructed to go in there and swear. Bad language, abusive language, for a certain amount of time. In the next glass house, it was instructed that a student has to go in there with a branding iron, a hot iron, and start striking certain plants, not that's growing, other plants. In other words, to burn plants in front of the plants that are growing. And the fourth house was used as a control. In science, they will always use one as a control to measure the effects of everything else. So they'll leave a glass house to grow according to its natural way and to see what effect the stimulus has. So bear in mind, all these glass houses were placed in the exact location in terms of sunlight, exact fertilization, exact type of soil, the exact seeds. And these were the results. It showed that wherever the Quran was recited, the, the, the wheat grew 60% uh, a higher crop. And wherever the abuse was done and the branding iron, the, the crop didn't heal as well. The actual fact that the wheat withered away, simply due to the recitation done of the Qur'an. So now the question is, if this is the effect of Qur'an recitation on plants, what effect does it have on our lives? So we're all familiar with this um, slide. Some of us live like this, like I said earlier, on a day-to-day -day basis. So when we look at stress and tension, it can be measured. It can be measured from a physiological perspective. Because what happens when you are tense? Muscles stiffen. The sweat glands increase in secretion of sweat. Blood rushes to the exterior surface of the skin. The heart rate increases. There's an irregular heart rate. Blood pressure increases. So scientific studies were done on Quranic recitation. They chose individuals that do not understand Arabic and are non-Muslims. So they don't understand Arabic and they're non-Muslims and they played Quran for them. So medical equipment was attached to the body to measure electrical muscle activity. During the time of stress and tension, there's an increase of electrical currents in our muscles that cause us to be tense, that causes the jaw to clench, that causes stiffness in the shoulders. And this was all measured, so individuals were tested and they would measure them in their normal state, which was varying type of stresses. So they measure the sweat glands, the muscle activity, heart rate, blood pressure. And then they would attach earphones and play Quran recitation. So the first test was done on Quran recitation, a melodious voice. And the second test was done on words that mimic Quran. So, for instance, an Arabic type of song that sounds like Qur'an, but it wasn't really Qur'an. So it follows the same, what they call maqamat. Qamat will be the different tunes of the Qur'an, but it wasn't Qur'an. And the results shown that the, the heart rate became stable, that only for the Qur'an and not for the other type of recitation. So to show that the actual words of the Qur'an has a profound effect even in the lives of non-Muslims who do not understand the Qur'an. What happens in our life when we believe that the Qur'an is everything in terms of healing? When we understand the words of the Qur'an, when we go above what we were taught, in other words, we build on our knowledge, we move from a community of reciters to a community of understanding. And we find today that the knowledge on the understanding of the Arabic language is widespread. The, the Qur'an is being taught in different modes of recitation. So the level of Qur'an is, is on a higher level than ever before. So we have access to it. We have access to the signs. Now we combine the two. 
So that Quranic recitation that we do every morning, it's an absolute necessity for us before we start work. Because we know as we get in our cars, we spoke about the environmental stresses, we spoke about the noise pollution. As you ride, the dunya is presenting certain images to us that has an effect on our well-being. So on the, on the billboards, you are seeing certain type of um, headlines that are, are, are harmful to us. Things that we can never even imagine is printed on the billboard and it's designed to attract your attention. And one glance of it, it's a photographic, it becomes imprinted in your mind and it can affect your emotions for the entire day. But when we do our presentation, we decrease that stress threshold. We start the day in the negative so that the stress, the stress can build and we can neutralize it at, at the next what. So what about the people that, that, that are hafid, that learn the Quran recitation? It becomes so engraved in the nature, wherever they're going, you'll find them bobbing to the side like this. Because it's engraved in them. They're always reciting. And if they attach the consciousness that every recitation, every R, E, U in the Arabic language, every letter of mud, every beautiful recitation affects every cell in my body. Because it can have an effect on plants, it has an effect on water. I'm made, I'm an organic being that's made of, of water. And therefore, when, when that consciousness is added, it programs the individual to automatically find healing in the recitation. So wherever you find recitation, you will find healing. When you're driving home and you're sitting in the traffic while other people are stressing out due to the bumper to bumper, you're playing your kira'a, it's having an effect on your life. You actually rush to play the kira'a. And wherever you hear it, don't take it for granted that it plays in the malls and Vanguard Mall while you're shopping. You don't take it for granted, you actually realize that this is another opportunity to decrease my, my stress, decrease my blood pressure, alongside all the other advices of the Prophet Neuro-linguistic programming. As the word says, neuro, what we think about. Linguistic, what we utter, our senses, that, those things that enter us, our senses every day, through smell, hearing, even through our imagination. So it's basically neuro-linguistic programming is a behavioral technique that boosts our emotional intelligence. So this would refer to our thoughts and our feelings. So by boosting our emotional intelligence, it helps us to control what we think about, our behavior. It helps us to fend off negative feelings that can decrease our productivity and affect others, our communication with other people. So the technique aims to allow people to, to change their mindset, to eliminate bad thoughts and behaviors, to control our desires, to, to choose our mental and psychological state. And by doing that, we can actually create a, or influence what we will say, what we will call our biological computer. We program, we program ourselves to think in a certain way. So, it has profound effects. All our senses constantly are taking in different things. And if we are in an environment that, that leads towards negativity, it becomes engraved in our character. And if we are exposed to, for it too long, we become like the environment. Like the Prophet hadith, when he said that um, to sit in the presence of pious people is, is like the one who sits in the, in the presence of a perfume seller. That just being in the presence, you will, you will benefit from the, the effects of the perfume. In other words, you will smell good. And the one who sits in bad companies would be like the one that sits in the company of the blacksmith. You will be harmed by the smoke. 
So likewise, constantly, every day, neuro-linguistic programming is taking place. And depending on how you direct the, your, your actual input, it will determine what type of human being you will be. But we cannot control what we're confronted by, especially in modern day living. Social media will show us images while you're searching something on the net. When you put on the TV, you're constantly images are project, projected. And don't be fooled that the best neuro-linguistic programming takes place via television. So we know that when we utter something, there is an effect. So think about the recitation of the Quran. So neuro-linguistic programming takes place every day. So you could start your day with thinking that you need a cup of coffee to start your day. So if you look at coffee, you'll find this uh, stimulates certain motivating hormones like dopamine and adrenaline to get you up in the morning. However, after a while, your body becomes desensitized to those hormones and the coffee doesn't have the same effect, you need a stronger cup of coffee. Then you would go on to brush your teeth, look at yourself in the mirror, whatever follows. But we find within the deen of Islam, every aspect of everything that we do, putting our shoes on, getting out of bed, has a dua with it. It has a niya with it. We, we are taught neuro-linguistic programming for every instant of our day. And if we practice on that sunan, what type of human beings will we become? Basically, the deen is presenting us to be the most productive that we can be. It's presenting us with an antidote and remedy for all this modern-day illness that we face. All the illness that we face at the physical level, at the emotional level, the deen comes to eradicate. So we find every second of a believer's day will be fine, well detailed in the sunan. With the Prophet will talk about the dua that we do, that we say whilst looking in the mirror. And due to the social pressure and media, people look in the mirror looking at the defects. So looking at, you know, the hair is growing in the wrong places, my nose is too big, I can't see myself in the mirror, whatever you, 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 you know, whatever negative perception you have of yourself. And this is due to modern day living. But the deen teaches us that we, were we are born and fashioned in the best of forms. So therefore we recognize Allah's wahdaniya, he's great, he's, he's the best of, creation, of creators. So we recognize that when we look in the mirror, therefore there's a special dua that we say in the mirror, that Allah protect us from pride, from vanity, but grant us that we are, we are happy with our form. So every dua is there to safeguard ourselves from the negative attributes of neuro-linguistic programming that takes place every day. So if we practice on the sunan, so therefore it becomes more valuable to find out what the Prophet did and how he did it. And through that we'll find the neuro-linguistic program specialist will talk to you about how the Prophet his, 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 his formulation would guarantee you to be in a positive state throughout the day no matter what comes your way. Grief, loss, sorrow, because the ayat of the Quran mentioned that nothing comes to you except that it has been written for you. And nothing misses you except that it was meant not to reach you. So through that understanding of Qadr and Qadr, that everything is decreed, and understanding that we live in a world of cause and effect, and using the deen, the sunnah of the Prophet and practicing on, on it in a holistic fashion, whereby we look at it in these terms, and not as a normal dua that I was taught to recite after, before sleeping, and waking up in the morning. And by doing that, we'll, we'll, we'll activate that hidden potential that we have as human beings. So the whole objective of the course is to revive prophetic medicine, to bring us back to that model of Medina, whereby Islam was practiced in its totality 
in the form of, of purity from the from Sharia, from the emotional state of the people of, of Medina to their physical characteristics, their strength was directly proportionate to the other aspects of Deen. So we mentioned in the past the physicians came to Medina and there wasn't any illnesses to cure because the Muslims were practicing on the Sunnah. So we find we're living in a time where Islam is evident. There's a lot of masajik, there's a lot of people dressed in the identity of, of Muslims. But yet the illnesses are increasing. Why? Because we haven't made that connection. So it's important for us to look at our deen holistically, to understand that the masajid is not only a place for spiritual benefit, that there's psychological benefit when we stand in ourselves, the psychological benefit to doing stuff in jama'ah. When you are isolated, the shaitan will, will use you, or the shaitan preys on people that are alone. But there are times when you need to be alone, like the Prophet would go in the cave of, in the cave of Hira to reflect and to ponder. But the deen teaches us to balance our lives. So when we look at contentment, we're looking for contentment in all things in life. And contentment is not, cannot be found in fulfilling what we want, our desires, but rather to realize what we have right now. And what we have in our grasp, as we are sitting here, guaranteed we are Muslim. We have Yaqeen, we have Iman. And because we are connected to the Deen, we have access to the Jannah, we have access to healing on the earth, we have access to Allah's dhikr. Allah says, Allah bidikrilahi tatama inul qulub, that in the remembrance of Allah, hearts find contentment. So therefore, being in this class, we have to revive Tibanabwi by putting it into practice. So tonight when we go sleep, we have to value that dua even more, to understand that it has the ability to allow us to have good dreams. It has the, the ability to make us get up earlier and better in the morning. With the hudu, with every sunan, and by doing this, we'll be practicing tabanabu. We will be taking it to our families and to our communities, inshallah. Next week, I intend to start on another interesting topic, and that would be the Prophet's nutrition. So, we're looking at all his sunan, and we'll combine nutritional medicine with modern findings, and we'll look at how the Prophet's practice, and all the aspects we'll try to cover. Um, I'll leave uh, a bit of time for questions. There's one question here which will actually be. Um, perfect for next week's class, but I'll answer it anyway. How does one clean fruit and veg from all pesticides and chemicals? It's actually a very difficult one because pesticides and chemicals are used when the fruits are seedlings already. And as they grow, it, it, the, the amount are increased, so it's basically it grows into the skins, etc. The best thing we can do is to invest in a brush and get vegetable fruit brushes that you can actually, especially those waxy fruits, all fruits, if you wash it, you will see that the water will disperse over it in a certain way. You have to brush it as far as you can. Even grapes, you have to wash each one individually to get everything out. The next best thing is to look for organic food. Very hard to find and very expensive. And what I recommend to people that has gardens that don't grow your own veg. There's nothing, nothing more rewarding than having carrots from your garden, tomatoes from your garden, etc. It grows well. And when you get into it, it's beneficial for the whole family. Working with the soil is therapeutic. In doing a course like this, you will have to find some sort of stress management connected to nature. And it is soon when we find that the people of Medina were agricultural people. And therefore, they, they yield good crops. And the Prophet also, in the Hadith, um, he would be requested to sow the seeds of Medina. Because he would write, he would recite the du'a with every seed, and, it's, and through that recitation, 
the best date still today we find in Medina. So never underestimate the use of du'a for the smallest thing, even for a seed, because you start off that seed with a barakah, you start the seed with Allah's name, so you activate the healing, hidden potential in that. Are there any more questions? If the ladies can ask forms, um, paper to the front. Any questions? There's a mic. Anybody wants to ask anything? How does water hurt or oh, like um, be harmful to the body? Oh, when I said that everything can be harmful, even water given in the wrong dosage. Yeah, so we find that the general statement would be have six to eight glasses of water a day. But you also have to remember that we, we attain water from foods as well. Some foods like for instance uh, lettuce and cucumber are made up of 80% water. So you could overhydrate yourself. When you overhydrate yourselves, each cell in your body starts to swell and they can burst. So that's how water can injure you. So I use that example to show that nothing in this dunya is without a perfect way of using it. And it's going to tie in with next week's class about how the Prophet drank water and we, how much sips he took and it will correspond to the digestive process, how water lands in the belly.